that's what we're learning today. Praise God. All right, enough for the commercial. Genesis 4, verses 1 through 5. We'll read these and then we can be seated. How many were here Friday night? Awesome stuff, wasn't it? Genesis 4, 1 through 5. And Adam knew his wife. She conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. She again bare his brother Abel. Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in a process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. Abel also brought of his firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had no respect. And Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. How many know what respect is? Sometimes people need reminded of how well what we think of what, what it's worth to us. There's nothing more precious than the presence of the Lord. There's nothing more um, as a guide and a help through your life as the community of the God's church, of God, the people of God, of this, this body here. Nothing more important than the um, building, us, the building structure itself, and the respect that we have for it, how much it, it's worth to us. It's the same thing as everything that we do when we come in here in every service. There's a respect that has to go forth from us. And there are times when people don't respect. There are times when people just think, eh, not a big deal. It is a big deal. You're kidding me? Especially nowadays, you want a big deal, don't you? I don't know about you, but I don't want a little God. I need a big God. I don't need a little bit of the Spirit. I need a lot of the Spirit. And if I myself, am I, if me, if Raj is big is Raj's biggest problem, did I get that out right? I can be my biggest trouble because I can be my biggest hindrance. I can stop the flow of the, of the Holy Ghost in my life just like a light switch is turning on and off. I need as much God as I can get. That's why every time, especially now, especially now with all the things that's going on, and I'm not going to get on my my soapbox here and preach a little bit about the things that's happening in our country, but now you're starting to respect a little bit more of your civil rights, aren't you? Now you're starting to respect a little bit more of the freedoms that this country stands for because suddenly they seem to be slipping away. I don't want let, I don't want to let the presence of God just kind of slip away. Don't ever want this candlestick light to go out. Don't ever want this this altar, this brazen altar fire, that's their instructions, but to never let it go out. And don't let the devil tell you that you can't repent. You can repent. Don't let him tell you that you've done something so bad that God's never going to forgive you or that what you've done to yourself is disqualifies you from the service of God. It does not. It even more impacts you. You know what? Sometimes a, a good testimony is what God's kept me from. 
Not that I got myself messed up, but look what God's kept me from. The Bible says we're kept by the power of God. We can't do it ourselves. We need his help. Praise God. I've got to hurry along here. Lord bless you. You may be seated. Back to Friday night's prayer. I, um, come on. Once I get to know this thing, I'll be able to operate a little better. <clears throat> Back to Friday night's prayer. How do I start this by saying we all sacrificed? And it wasn't a mistake that we started out at the brazen altar. And it wasn't a mistake that it took a while. And I thought, ah, out two hours for every piece of furniture. Help me, Jesus. <laughs> it's not a mistake that it was done that way. And it wasn't planned, it just happened. But do you understand that without this brazen altar being proper and worth and respectful, all the other stuff doesn't seem to work? Why? The altar of incense and, and, and the, the Ark of the Covenant, all that stuff, it's important. Yeah, but you can't really get involved and start without this. This is the starting point. It's the same with God. It's the starting point is repentance. So if there's anything that needs to happen to start off is repentance, always. Come on, Rod, you mean every day? I'm talking every day. Why? It's because it's still flesh, and we still struggle, and I'm not the only one that struggles in here. I'm not the only one that has to lay my my mind, my soul, my body, everything on that altar and burn it all up. It's not about Raj. It's about him. It doesn't matter what the requirements might be or what God's asking us to do. It's I want to be a willing sacrifice. Paul told us in the 12th chapter of Romans, a living sacrifice. We're not dead, but we're still alive, but yet we are dead to ourselves. I don't really want to do all that I want to do, and there's times for us. You will have time for yourself, but you know what? It's a sacrifice, and God will honor it when you put him first, and I guess that's what we're trying to do today in this lesson. It's titled, Giving My Best. How many want to give the Lord your best? I'm not talking about your best-looking suit. Don't have my $500 Hickey Freeman on because I don't have one. <laughs> Matt, where's Matt? <laughs> I don't have my uh, $600 tie on because I don't have a tie that's worth 600 bucks. Maybe 60 cents or whatever. But it's the best that you have. And it's not just stuff that we have and things that we put on our body and come to church. It also has to do with your time. It also has to do with what's important to you is if 
when I respect what God's done and I love him beyond measure for all the things that he's done in the past of how he's kept our life and how he's uh, uh, blessed families and stuff like that is he's worth my best time. He's worth my best. So whenever I want to do something, I want to do the best that I can. I guess that's in a nutshell uh, all that I have. <laughs> Not really. Let me start with this. The boy sobbed, despising the situation. His favorite uncle had just punished him for what he thought was a minor infraction. He was not crying due to his physical pain. He was crying because his uncle had dared to correct the favorite nephew. The young boy's infraction was watching his uncle weld without the boy wearing his welder's helmet. Was the uncle hateful to be so stern with his young nephew? Concerning that, that this type prolonged activity would have allowed ultraviolet radiation to cause damage to the young boy's eyes. Understand that one. It would have been wrong to let the infraction go uncorrected. But the boy would not have detected the damage until hours later. And repeated injury of that sort might have resulted in cataracts. <laughs> Teaching the nephew to take care of his eyes was one of the kindest things that the uncle could do. So the Bible warns us, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. That's found in Isaiah 5. If we are not careful, even though we should know better, we will react as the the author did when he was a preteen peeking at his uncle's welding arc. We will mistake an act of kindness for somebody being very hateful to us. The truth is it's sometimes more hateful not to point out the dangers of certain activities. Kindness chooses to hold fast to the biblical morals and values in spite of politically correct rhetoric that deems such expressions of love as being hateful. I don't want to do that. God's going to punish me. That's not how you serve him. But I'm thankful that he's a loving God, that he does correct his children. Aren't you glad for convicting spirit of God? Aren't you glad that sometimes the presence of God just overwhelms you and just kind of pushes you down and says, Raj, that's not your best. Hmm. Surely I'm not the only one that just kind of slung something and said, oh, well, I don't have time right now. I've got other stuff to do, Lord. Maybe I can just, you know, say a little prayer on the way to work. Come on, people. I'm so glad he loves me. 
following are some examples designed to clarify what might be considered kind words and what might be considered unkind speech. Here's a kind word. Don't stick things in electrical sockets. Been there, done that. Who, don't have to raise your hand unless your mom's watching. Who has taken mom's bob bobby pin and st stuck it in the socket and watched it turn colors? How'd that house burn down? I don't, don't know. It just started in a bedroom, some kid's bedroom up there. You can do that really fast, though. Just bend it out right, form it, and then you can just kind of shove it in. Here's another kind word. Don't play in traffic. It's a pretty simple one, though. How about an unkind word? Whatever feels good, just do it. Joshua said this in the books of Joshua, or Judges, at the end of, of chapters two or three different times. People did what they thought was right in their own eyes. And eh, just church. And eh, just that prayer meeting, you know. <laughs> Here's another unkind word. God doesn't care how you behave. He's a loving God. He'll never send anybody to hell. He doesn't. You kind of do that on your own, don't you? Ask any school teacher, and they will confirm that children left to their own judgment, actually a parent. You leave the kids alone to their own judgment, and rarely they will create a self and healthy environment. Even some adults do that. They go just, what's going on? God's people should be thankful he's given us kind words to help us understand our behaviors that he expects us to have. God's expected behaviors will help us live the abundant life he's promised when he teaches his children to give him their best. They benefit because why? Why, Raj? Because that allows God to give us his best. How many want God's best? So do you think God would give his best to somebody that he doesn't trust would in return do what's best with that gift? I don't think so. In the year of 2000, a friend of mine, actually, I've met him a few times. He pastors in Columbus, Ohio. Brother and Sister Davidson, I'm sure, know, and Brother Mark Condon. Awesome guy. He wrote a song. It's called Giving My Best to You. Been singing that song all week. It was featured by the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. You get a chance, look it up. Look behind the, the music, the story behind the song. That always interests me of how people came up with these thinking. 
one of the quickest songs he said that he's ever put together because the spirit moved so freely and it just flowed so greatly. And he put it together and just like that. We being ministers and those of us that put lessons and stuff together and the anointing comes over you and the ideas start to flow and things start flipping together. Just works so fast. Why? Because God's got a message and you're the messenger. What an awesome song. <clears throat> but God is really, when He's when the Spirit moves and things flow, we are definitely doing what God is willing to do. So let's look at this Cain and Abel, this sibling rivalry here. Some people may not understand, well, come on, Cain did a little something, don't he get some like a half a credit? John Maxwell, another author, uh, I've got a lot of books of him, it's called The Winning Attitude. That was the problem. And that is sometimes our problems. I know I, my attitude's not always good. It's not always winning. It's the problem. And when I look in the mirror, I'm the only one that can fix it. People can pray for you, but if your attitude's wrong and your delivery's wrong and your approach to God is wrong, you're the only one that has to fix that. I can get prayed for many times over to help me learn and to give my best to God, but it's got to be my attitude as to when I walk through these doors. When I get up in the morning, it's your attitude towards life as to what God means to you, how he's blessed you, and whether or not you're going willing to do what he wants to be done that day. Or do I want to just do what I want to do? Again, let me say that there will be times for you but it has to be in your priorities. And God's got to always be number one. Why? Because I always want to give him my best. And sometimes attitudes happen because other people look at other people and measure themselves up and say, God's always blessed that person. Why, why can't, Lord, I did my thing. I brought my little sacrifice. I, I, I did what was required. I, I, I got to get by. Why can't I get blessed like they get blessed? Well, it's because they're always giving God their best. And then jealousy happens, and that's exactly what the devil likes. He likes to cause division. He likes to cause attitudes to fly. And that sometimes people never really get over their attitude. Maxwell says the attitude is an inward feeling expressed by an outward behavior. It can be seen without any kind of a word being said. Of all the things that we wear, our expression and our attitude is the most important. Not even that Hickey Freeman suit. It's the attitude. And it's your approach to the presence of God. So I, I, I don't think that what we happened and, and our prayer meeting and all this stuff lined up properly, it, it, it just matches and it just fits. It's, it's, it's a, a, a uh, 
I don't know, it, it's kind of a reminder again as to how important things are in our lives. Things that are so vitally important to you isn't always the best for you. You have to decide what's important to God. And I think that's where we war a lot within ourselves is I don't want to take the time out and do things for God. My flesh doesn't want me to do that. I want to do what the flesh is. It's too easy to do that. And the devil, that's how it's set up. That's why there's a big war. That's why this huge altar is, is, is bad. Another point about the brazen altar is when it was set up in the tabernacle, that's the only altar that the people got to participate in. Everything else was the priest stuff. This one, we got to help. How? I had to bring my sacrifice. I had to bring what was required. I had to bring it. Nobody else helped me drag the bullock up there. Everybody would just stand around and look. Look at that rod prod a bullock. My Lord, he must have really done something bad. You don't know. You have no idea what goes on at this altar. You have no idea how you put my shoes on and walk in them every day. That's why this altar is so vitally important. As if you do not die on that altar, all the other stuff, all the other worship, all the other things we do, it's not true. Because we faked it to start with. God doesn't like frauds. Throughout God's word, he does give us choices to live by. Hosea 6.2 says this, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. So we know what to do. It's just hard sometimes to get over that. Quickly going through this, Moses challenged the Israelites to enter the promised land. He said, see, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 30 and uh, verses 15 through 19. He says, see, I've set before thee this day life and good and death and evil. And that I command thee this day not to, to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgment, that thou mayest live and multiply, and that the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land wherever you go. Whenever you go to possess it, but if thine heart turns away so that thou will not hear but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, Moses told the children of Israel, said, I denounce you unto you this day that ye shall surely perish and that ye shall not prolong your days upon the land, whether thou passest over Jordan to possess it. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I've set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Therefore choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. Joshua told them in a scripture that I don't have down, and everybody kind of knows it halfway, kind of choose you this day whom you will serve. It's for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He gives us choices, don't he? 
every place you go, every time you go, everywhere you're at, you have a choice, especially in the house of God, especially in the morning prayer, whatever you have your prayer, you have a choice whether to do it or not. So now we definitely have a battle going on between good and evil, between the spirit of God and our carnality. It's the devil's job to make a mess of things, isn't it? It's the devil's job to trip us up as often as he can. It's the devil's job to put something in between us, in our mind. It's our devil's job to use whatever he can to distract us, to, to get us off center, to hinder us, to, to keep us from doing God's thing. That's why it's so hard sometimes to pray. That's why nobody likes this brazen altar. Nobody likes all that uh, 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 sacrificing and things that goes on. I want to do what I want to do. I want to have the childlike mentality to say it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. It's me, it's me, it's me. Do what you feel like doing. God's a loving God. Romans 8 and 7 says the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law, neither indeed to be. In order to prevail, we must receive the necessary grace, forgiveness, and the overcoming power of God. So we can look at this life two separate ways. First of all, we can say living for God will always be hard because we will always have to choose to die to our flesh. Hmm, kind of heavy. Living for God will always be hard because we'll always be battling our flesh. That's because... People kind of live for God halfway. The Canaanites, eh, just a little, just throw a little something over there. Eh, you see how easy things are? Sometimes you can even have, I've heard of drive-through church. You can stay in your car. Just tell them what you want in the, in the speaker. Choose from the menu, like ordering a hamburger. God didn't expect stuff like that. So in that aspect, living for God is hard. But if you live for God with all of your might, with all of your strength, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your spirit, it becomes easy. Why? Because you fall in love with him. And when you fall in love with him, it doesn't matter what the requirement is. It doesn't matter what... What comes your way, you want to get there. The second way we can look at this is we have the privilege of living as an ambassador for Christ. We can make right choices that will have eternal impacts in our lives and the people around us. So we want to make heaven our home, and we'll take a lot of people with us there. Romans 7, Paul describes a struggle that we have, choosing good over evil. Uh, verse 18 through 25, quickly, for I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, for to will it be present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I can't find it. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not do, he said, that's what I do all the time because I live in the flesh. 
Now, if I do that what I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in many members warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So our only hope really is the surrender to God's spirit in us. Every chance we get to the altar. It gives us the authority and the power over sin and of ourselves. Good wins because why? We choose to give God permission to run our lives, not us running our lives. So the scary thing about all of this, and I'm hurrying, this is somehow we tweak God's commandments and we do our own thing because we think that a shortcut with God will work and we expect the same result with a lesser sacrifice. You understand what I was saying? We kind of tweak the things of God so it doesn't require a lot. So we can live our carnal life and expect God to honor what we tweak. And he doesn't like that. It's not how it's supposed to set up. You got to die on this brazen altar. You got to throw yourself up there, everything, in order for all the other stuff to even the worship and the light and the word of God and the Bible and everything. It doesn't mean anything because there's no meaning at the brazen altar. Hmm. So, this, as my result, is the difference between Cain and Abel. Abel did everything he was supposed to do. Cain had a little bit, but he kind of just tweaked it a little bit. Huh. Now you get a little clearer picture of Cain versus Abel. Abel's best was something that cost a lot. Versus Cain's get by because I've got other things to do attitude. John 2, verses 13 through 16 says this, the Jewish Passover was at hand. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting there. And when he had made a scourge of small cords or a whip, he drove them out, out of the temple the sheep and the oxen, and he poured over the money changer's table. Money went everywhere. He overthrew everything, and he said unto them that sold the doves, Take these things hence. Make not my father's house a house of merchandise. Oh, that's pretty unexplainable. Who want to do that? It's not that they were making money. It's they were shortcutting the sacrifice. Why should I sacrifice something that means so much, so dear to me 
that I don't have to go through all of that pain. All I need is a couple of quarters and I can go get a dove and I can go circle around and offer the dove and see, well, that just cost me 50 cents. It's not a big deal. God doesn't like that. You haven't sacrificed anything on an altar. This is what the difference is. He knows you haven't given the best. That's what made Jesus so mad. What are you guys doing? You're taking the meaningless out of the sacrifice. Here's what was sacrificed. The sacrifice was a lamb that you raised, that you bought the food, that you took care of, that you took to the vet, that you named, that you walked, that you slept with, that you had this animal that you just loved. That's everything to you, and you have to offer that as a sacrifice on an altar. That, my friend, is painful and a sacrifice, and that's given my best. That's what they robbed them of. You don't have to do that. You just have to give us money, and we'll do it for you. And I'm not poking fun at other religions, but I don't ever want to have somebody go to the presence of God for me when I can't do it myself. Mark 14, 3 through 9, and being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. She broke the box and poured on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, why was this waste of this ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. Jesus said, you guys leave her alone. Why are you troubling her? She's given me her best. She has wrought a good work in me. For you have the poor with you always, and whomsoever ye will, ye may do them good. But me, you have not always. She hath done what she could. She has come from her forehead to anoint my body to the bearing. Verily I say unto you, whosoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of her as a memorial. I don't know about you, but I always need the presence of God. So I'm offering my best every chance that I get, Lord. My best worship, my best singing voice, my best attitude, my best clothes that I have. Why? Because we're coming to church. Why? Because we're going into the presence of God. We're, 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 we're coming together as a community, as one worshiping hand and one worshiping body. To invite the presence of God into our lives. Because I need him more and more each day. But Raj, you've been in church all your life. I know that. And I still need him more and more each day. If you stand with me, I'll be finished here in a minute. Aaron had two sons, Nadab and Abihu. Bible says they offered strange fire before the Lord and they were struck down dead. Why? 
what's with this strange fire? Because they did not take the fire that was off that brazen altar. Do you understand why it took so long Friday night? That's where we die out. That's where everything happens. That's where everything begins. They took they, they didn't take that fire. They shortcutted it again. They tweaked what God said to do. They said, oh, well, we can go around this way and get it done. And it doesn't require a lot. I don't want to shortcut God because I don't want him shortcutting to me. I need all the pure Holy Ghost that I can get. And he needs all the pure worship that he can get. They tried to bring in a strange fire, the fire that wasn't off the brazen altar to use in the holy place. Not their best fire, not their best sacrifice, but they were tweaking the things of God. John 4, 24 says this, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must, let's all say must, they must worship him in spirit and let's all say truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. I want to give him my best worship because he's worthy of it, amen. God is good to us, isn't he? My best worship, Lord. I'll leave you with these words from Brother Mark Condom. He said, never underestimate what God can do when you live a yielded life to him. God will work miracles. You want miracles? We need miracles. We need miracles in our families, in our country, in this nation, in this county. The only way I want to give it is because I want to give God my best. My best time, my best effort, everything that I can give him is from my heart. Let's sing it. It's where I hide. It's where I